Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Obviously, the surgery went well. It's a boy, Mister Producer. No, no, I'm just kidding. I have a very bad deviated septum. I've had it for decades and decades, and I was having trouble breathing. And you can still hear. I still have these uh, things in my nose for the recovery, but nonetheless. My wife, my family was getting on me, and so I finally jumped in. You know, I set up the surgery many weeks ago. So that's what it was about. That's all. Not heart surgery, nothing of that sort. But I want to thank you all. Um, I want to jump in on this. I'll do the best I can to address this in a way that I think is pertinent and appropriate, okay? Joe Biden is giving a talk right now, reading off a teleprompter, which is fine, because we've now exceeded 500,000 deaths from the coronavirus. Now, I want to put a little footnote on that. I don't know that it's 500,000, 400,000, 570,000, or 312,000, and really nobody else does either, because our government... The CDC and others have been very ambiguous, at least early on, about how to, how to count. And then it's the input, hospitals and others who put the information in. But let's say it's 500,000. What's interesting to me is we don't see these charts and graphs on TV anymore, and I've talked about this. About 15% of those who've died have died since Joe Biden was president of the United States. 
Now, why do I bring that up to assign blame? No, but he did. He did that to the prior administration. He politicized this and exploited it as much as he possibly could right into the Oval Office. I'm bringing that up because a pandemic is a pandemic, and it doesn't know party, and it doesn't know politics. It doesn't know ideology. And so it was appalling what the media and the Democrat Party and Joe Biden tried to do prior to him being sworn in as President of the United States. And I noticed nobody does it to him. And there's an excellent piece by an excellent writer, Matt Margolis, at PJ Media, I want to get to in a minute, but before I do, that number 500,000, I heard the media say this earlier today, and I heard Joe Biden just say it, that's more dead than in World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. Over 30 million babies have been aborted in this country, well over 30 million. That's genocide, the likes of which the world has never seen. And I don't care what the liberals say or some Supreme Court lawyers have to say or anybody else has to say. Those are human beings. They're not reptiles. They're not foul. Those are human beings. Those are babies. And people can deceive themselves into believing there's something else, but they're not. Follow the science. Those are human beings. And so I I just have to say, Joe Biden was almost religious in his lectures early on about coping and we have to fight things together, and I get it. But I don't see the moral distinction when you're talking about human life. And when you're talking about tens of millions of human beings who were aborted, the overwhelming vast majority of whom would have been born healthy. Healthy. And yet our Supreme Court, our Congress, and this president, governors throughout this country and state legislatures throughout this country, not only accommodate it, they insist that we all pay for it. I'm willing to have this moral discussion with a Joe Biden or a Nancy Pelosi, both of whom are Catholic, or Chuck Schumer, who is Jewish, I'd be more than happy to have this discussion about morality and life and death. More than happy. A pandemic is one thing. A virus unleashed into this country as a result of what the communist Chinese did. That's one thing. And we fight it as best we can. But abortion is a completely different issue. That's not a viral pandemic. And this president is an active supporter of a radical policy that would require all of us to pay for these abortions, whether we morally object or not. There's no vaccines for abortions. Our prior president, Donald Trump, opposed abortion. He came to this not out of politics. Not out of positioning himself, he came at it because of his belief system evolved over time. In fact, you could say he was the number one anti-abortion or pro-life president we've had. And that's true. 
And he fought the pandemic too, tooth and nail. The reason we have a vaccine to distribute at all is because of what occurred in his administration. And isn't it interesting that even in this current administration, Biden, they don't talk about warp speed with a third vaccine or a fourth vaccine. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's quite a different attitude that the Biden administration has than the Trump administration had, isn't it? Very different attitude. We don't get daily or even weekly press conferences telling us we're pushing hard, the next vaccine, operation this, we're working with this, we're working with that. Johnson & Johnson may have one. Some of the others may have one and so forth. Fine. But they just leave it to the bureaucrats in these various departments, the so-called scientists and medical experts, the Fauci and Fauci types, with these different responsibilities, and if they come up with one and work with the private sector, great. If they don't, they don't. We haven't heard a single thing that is the equivalent of Operation Warp Speed. We could use another vaccine or two. And then you see the Associated Press, the biggest propaganda operation on the face of the earth because of its reach, a wire service. And you wake up this morning, and they're celebrating Joe Biden. He's going to hit 100 million vaccines in 100 days. They may even do more. But nothing's been changed. The assembly lines that are making the vaccines that were making them when Donald Trump was president until he left office are the same assembly lines. And then you build efficiencies. You can expand. You learn other techniques to move it from point A to point B to preserve the vaccines under very cold temperatures and so forth. This is the natural course of things. The Biden administration hasn't done anything special. It hasn't done anything unique. It hasn't done anything, it seems to me, under any kind of pressure or timeline. And it's been all over the map on this issue. And so I'm more than happy to have the moral discussion about this. I'm more than happy to talk about numbers and all the rest of it. These are our human beings. And the other thing I notice is that this White House has been utterly and completely silent when it comes to some of the behavior by some of the governors, politicians, in resulting in some of these deaths. Biden has yet to say a word about Andrew Cuomo. Look at his cover-up. Now there's a criminal investigation. Nothing. He has said nothing about six Democrat governors in six of the biggest states that insisted and forced individuals with COVID-positive results into nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Nothing. Not a word. And when we come back, I want to tell you that so far the best I can tell what Joe Biden has done is attack his predecessor. If they've done something terrifically new about production, about new vaccines, about new distribution, how come there's nothing in front of us, nothing tangible to read or feel or talk about? There's nothing. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, 
We need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Matt Margolis, PJ Media. More proof Biden's attacks on Trump's vaccine distribution plan are based on lies. Earlier this week, Joe Biden falsely claimed that President Trump failed to order enough, quote-unquote, COVID-19 vaccines. It was the latest in a series of attacks from the Biden administration criticizing the vaccine distribution plan, or a lack of one, left by the Trump administration. You know, it's amazing to me. Two vaccines developed in eight months. Really, seven months. You know we've never done that before? The average time for a vaccine is over five years. It just amazes me that the president, Donald Trump, is criticized as if he didn't care, he didn't do anything. He knew in the end that Fauci was wrong. He knew in the end that wearing masks or paper hats or sneakers or or hiding under the table for the rest of your life wasn't going to fix or resolve anything. It was going to make matters worse. So he took the whip to the bureaucracy, which is one of the reasons Fauci and the other didn't like him. And he insisted and demanded that they work like never before. Not that they cut health corners, but they cut bureaucratic corners. That they get off their asses and work overtime and get things done. No nine to five. And that they work with the private sector. The best companies in the world. And that's exactly what was achieved. And then these two companies announced days after the election, that they have vaccines. Now, you know, Fauci and the bureaucracy knew we had vaccines. You know these companies knew we had vaccines, but they waited. They waited. And then you had Joe Biden throughout the summer and Kamala Harris downplaying the idea of a vaccine. I interviewed the president. That's President Trump in September. I said, what do you make of all these attacks and so forth? He says, because they know we're going to have them and they don't want to, you know, they don't want it to negatively affect their electoral chances. And that's exactly what happened. They exploited it. And they're still trying to make you believe that but for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and some invisible new bureaucrats and staff, that but for them, we wouldn't be on the glide path we're on now. It's a lie. Kamala Harris said there was no national strategy or plan for vaccines. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. And in so many ways, we're starting from scratch on something that's been raging for almost an entire year. That's what she said with an interview with the left-wing site Axios the other week. Even Fauci had to dismiss the claim. He said, we're certainly not starting from scratch. We're coming in with fresh ideas but also some ideas that were not bad ideas with the previous administration. You can't say it was absolutely not usable at all. It's taking what's going on, but amplifying it in a big way, he added. 
And I don't know, even know why we care what Fauci says, since he wasn't even in charge of the project, quite frankly. But the Biden administration is still using the same vaccine distribution models developed by Operation Warp Speed under President Trump. I want to repeat this. So even the AP, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, and all the other liars and frauds understand what I'm saying. The Biden administration is still using the same vaccine distribution model developed by Operation Warp Speed under President Trump. Because Trump had the professionals handle this. The military, HHS, the scientists. It's more or less the plan that we put together, frankly, that's happening, and maybe there are improvements, and that's really great, some acceleration, but clearly we didn't go from no plan to a plan and from no vaccine to a vaccine. Dr. Mansif Salawi, the former head of the Operation Warp Speed, told Fox News last week, he also said he was surprised the Biden administration is gloating about a vaccine distribution plan that isn't their own. Biden always the plagiarist, huh? The data also proves that attacks from the Biden administration are unfounded. According to a graph generated by Newsy, vaccine production and distribution under Biden has not accelerated, but rather followed the same trajectory as it was under Trump. Followed the same trajectory that it was under Trump. As I just explained, whether you're building uh, computers or iPhones or cars or whatever, once the assembly line's in place, once the knowledge is in place, the production begins to pick up, pick up, pick up, and then you have cost savings on top of everything. Joe Biden's Department of Defense also doesn't dispute that the distribution plan is the same as it was under Trump. In fact, General Gus Perna who led the effort under Trump, is still there in the same exact capacity. Centralized distribution is being managed by the CDC through an existing contract to deliver vaccines and supply kits. We continue the mission to accelerate the development, manufacturing, and delivery of safe and effective vaccines and therapies. And General Perna continues in his role overseeing this effort. Perna's spokeswoman, Lara Oka, told Newsy, so Joe Biden, who said he wants to unify the country, rather than give President Trump the credit he deserves, is actually trying to take credit for the vaccine and a distribution plan he has absolutely nothing to do with. Matt Margolis, PJ Media. You got that Washington Post, the New York Times? You got that CNN and MSNBC? You got that all the rest of the crap media? All you have to do is dig into it. You'll find the same information. Again, this is why we don't get press conferences from Biden or others telling us all the new fandangled kind of activities they're involved in. They aren't. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part... We need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. 
We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. And the Republicans don't like him, but America does. You can call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. Doing my best here. Drip, drip, drip. I want to talk to you about a subject that I've spent really much of my life studying, and that's the Supreme Court of the United States. The first book I wrote was called Men in Black. And in that book, you'll notice that the foreword was written by Rush Limbaugh. And that book came out in 2005. It was the number one selling book on the Supreme Court other than The Brethren, which was a gossipy book about what clerks have been telling this particular reporter about uh, the justices and so forth. That was not my book. I said at the time, you know, when people rely on the court, they're relying on people who in many ways are highly political and highly partisan. Some of them are able to control themselves and they have a philosophical approach to interpreting the Constitution that comports with their obligation to uphold it and defend it. But most are not. And you can see much of that in the history of the court. There are three justices today who comported themselves with great honor. Who have respect for the rule of law and respect for you. Just three out of of the nine. In those three, the great Clarence Thomas, thank God for Clarence Thomas, The great Sam Alito, who has been absolutely exceptional. And Neil Gorsuch, who's either really, really good or not. But not Kavanaugh and not Coney. Now, what am I talking about here? This is how Reuters puts it. U.S. Supreme Court formally pulls the plug on election-related cases. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday brought a formal end to eight lingering disputes pursued by former President Donald Trump and his allies related to the election. The justices turned away appeals by the Republican Party of Pennsylvania and Republican members of the state legislature of a ruling by Pennsylvania's top court ordering officials to count mail-in ballots that were postmarked by Election Day and received up to three days later. They did more than that. They eliminated the signature requirement and other requirements. Three of the nine members on the court, six conservative justices, well, that is a lie, and they'll continue to do that in the media because it serves their narrative. Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch dissented from the decision not to hear the Pennsylvania case. The high court, as expected, also rejected two Trump appeals challenging Biden's victories in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin based on claims that the rules for mail-in ballots in the two election battleground states were invalid. The court also turned away separate cases brought by Trump allies in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, all states won by Biden. 
and then they say Trump made false claims and so forth. Well, how do they know Trump made false claims? The court won't hear it. This court won't hear him either. Why, why do the media report this way? Anyway, on the Pennsylvania case, on the Pennsylvania case, um, I happen to be familiar with both of them. The one to me that was the strongest of the cases was the one that was a straight-up challenge under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. Which is very simple. That is, that the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, and the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania have absolutely no authority to substantively change election laws in the state. Yet that's precisely what they did. Now, that's not the way it's explained by Reuters or AP or any other news organizations. But that's exactly what they did. Now, you have three justices who wanted to hear that case. Six who did not. So what happens next cycle? Which is exactly the point of the dissent. We're going to be right back here again because this wasn't resolved. And I can guarantee you that the leader of this, of this sort of rogue effort is the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts. But the fact that Coney and Kavanaugh joined with Roberts and the leftists on the court is appalling. What is the use of the Supreme Court? It gets involved in every damn thing imaginable. Every cultural issue has to be run by the Supreme Court, whether it's abortion or prayer, whether it's nativity scenes, whether it's marriage. Every single cultural issue is run by the Supreme Court. Why? All they are are lawyers. Why do they control what happens in every state, in every town, and in every public square? But here we have something that occurred under the federal constitution where the framers could not have been clear. The state legislators, even John Roberts, should be able to read that. But six of them, including Kavanaugh and Coney, the great Kavanaugh and the great Coney, decided not to get involved. Shame on them. They have helped to pure fuel on the fire of the division in this country by failing to uphold the United States Constitution and drawing a line. That's their damn job, not to interfere in all these other matters. Now, the second Pennsylvania case, which is straightforward, black and white, simple as can be, the Pennsylvania State Legislature, Republican, and the Democrat governor conspired to violate their own constitution. Now you might say, what's it have to do with the federal government? Nothing, except it involves the selection of electors who choose the president and vice president of the United States. So it has everything to do with the federal constitution. It's not a federalism issue. In other words... State legislatures are free to conduct themselves as they wish within the civil rights requirements and so forth. But they're not free to violate their own constitution in order to create a situation where you have tainted electors being counted in Washington, D.C. on the day those electors are counted. So they disenfranchise the people in Pennsylvania 
by not actually amending the Constitution, by effectively passing a statute in lieu of an amendment that allowed for mail-in voting. And they felt pressured to do it because of the pandemic. We're destroying our country based on this pandemic. You understand, the left is running right through it. That was a simple up-and-down case. And the state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, with a variety of outrageous tricks, wouldn't even hear it. The appellate court in Pennsylvania, this appellate judge, she was fantastic and courageous, she said, yes, I'm going to hear this case because the plaintiffs in this case make a very serious argument that our state constitution was violated and that it taints and has an effect on the federal constitutional process. She was shut down in 72 hours by a partisan elected state Supreme Court. Shut down. And then they shut down the petitioners. They made it impossible for the petitioners to even have their day in the state Supreme Court, and now they don't get their day in the federal Supreme Court. So there's your court system, ladies and gentlemen. What a crock. What a joke. Good job, John Roberts. Those were the two most important cases because they specifically addressed the federal constitutional system, which was violated in Pennsylvania, which was violated in Wisconsin, which was violated in Georgia, which was violated in Michigan, and frankly, was violated in Arizona. And so now what? And so now, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The Democrats are going to feel that they can do whatever the hell they want in these states. And they're going to go back into these states. And they're going to push an agenda even further to make it absolutely impossible to win the states. In other words, your United States Supreme Court rewrote the federal constitution of the United States by not acting. Because it allowed these rogue actors... All Democrats, except in the one instance in Pennsylvania with the Republican legislature, allowed them to change the language effectively, practically, in terms of implementation under the federal constitution. Your federal constitution was changed in the last election. I don't give a damn what the New York Times, the Washington Post, Dominion this, this, that. I don't care what any of them say. I'm not even addressing fraud. I'm addressing a crooked system systematic violations of our constitutional system. And there they are, six of the nine justices, sitting on their asses, doing not a damn thing about it. Because they're afraid of what will be said about them in the editorial pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Cowards! Absolute cowards! There's your Justice Coney, there's your Justice Kavanaugh. You fought like hell for them, and then they spit on you. But the justices did have the votes. Well, I should say the opposite. The justices took another pass today. They think it's okay for a local Democrat prosecutor to get the tax returns of a Republican president, whether he's in office or out of office. Now, what kind of door does that open? What kind of an idiot do you have to be to not understand the precedent that that creates. Any pretext for investigating a president now 
by some slob out of some city or town or county. Any pretext that they can pull together to make it seem like a legitimate investigation will now be a a basis for a president having to uh, provide his tax returns. Just because Democrats and the media demand the tax returns of somebody, I open the Constitution. It's not in there. There's no requirement. As a matter of fact, let me suggest this to you. You know, when the Constitution was originally written and adopted, there was no damn income tax. There was no internal revenue service. So now, some jerk elected district attorney in Manhattan, Vance Jr., whose dad was an idiot too, a clown, a secretary of state who resigned, under Carter of all people. Now he says, now we shall continue on, continue on. They tried the emoluments clause, they've tried everything they can against Trump. But now here's what I believe. I believe all the financial records of every Supreme Court justice should be revealed. That we need to have transparency. That branch of government is cloistered and hidden behind very thick marble walls, which, by the way, has chiseled above the door Jesus and Moses, the Ten Commandments, you know, all the things we're not allowed to have. That's what they walk under every day in order to get to their office. No hypocrisy there. So we need transparency. We need to know all about their financial relationships, family members, because after all, they have the final word, quote-unquote, on the Constitution. Just ask them. They'll tell you that. And we need Nancy Pelosi's tax records and her dumb husband. Why just Donald Trump? Why just Donald Trump? I'll be right back. Lovin. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things. And it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. I don't even know. It's just appalling what this court has done. And now, now that it, it, you know, people say, well, it hasn't ruled. Well, it ruled in a way now that clearly sides with the Democrat Party and their lawyers. 
clearly undermines the constitutional construct that was put together in Philadelphia and adopted by the conventions in the states. It says state legislatures, state legislatures. And if the Supreme Court can't even discern that term in the Constitution, what the hell good is it? That's why I wrote, Men in Black, how the Supreme Court is destroying America. Well, look at it. It's been wrong on so many immigration issues, so many regulatory issues, so many tax issues. It upheld the great society and the New Deal and all these other things. It has advanced a radical approach to gender. I mean, so here we have a straight constitutional question, and it becomes controversial. Why? Because it might cost the Democrats? Well, why is that controversial? Do the right thing. You know, Bayer, Sotomayor. What's the other one? Kagan. Those three, they march together on these controversial issues, and they never break ranks. They never break ranks. It's like the Democrats in Congress. They never break ranks. The Republicans are all over the place. So the way to look at this today is that basically, John Roberts, a disastrous chief justice, Mike Ludig should have been the chief justice, Kavanaugh, who you bled for and argued for and and prayed for. Coney, who the president moved heaven and earth to make sure she'd get on the court, not for him, but to uphold the Constitution. All three of them let down the country today. All three of them. All three of them let down the country today. They're so worried about positioning themselves and positioning the court. That's why I said it's become a political entity. In so many ways. But we're not getting justice in the Supreme Court, and that is a huge problem for a society. When the court doesn't uphold the Constitution, even when it's black and white, even when you really have to do somersaults in order to come up with a different conclusion, the court is doing severe damage, not just to its integrity, the integrity of the electoral system, but the integrity of the Constitution. A disgraceful day. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Ami Horowitz is an excellent independent journalist who really puts his neck on the line often. And he went to uh, Yale to ask Yale students uh, if they'll sign a petition to repeal the United States Constitution. And Ami does a terrific job. But unfortunately, I think you need to listen to this. Uh, Hat tip, Ami Horowitz, cut nine, go. 
I'm Ami Horowitz, and I'm here on the campus of Yale University, where the students are our future thought leaders. The U.S. Constitution is the guarantor of our rights and the foundation of our freedoms. Or is it? I have a petition to repeal the Constitution of the United States. So what I'm calling for is to repeal the Constitution, to repeal the Constitution of the United States. Just get rid of it in its entirety. The whole thing? The whole thing. Uh, it's an interesting uh, proposition, for sure. Very in support of I, your energy I, I and your mission. I mean, that sounds cool. Yeah. I like it. That's neat. That's awesome. I laud your efforts. And I wish you good luck. It was created in a racist and white supremacist context. Do you agree that it's kind of a, a racist document at this it point? It is. I just feel like it's a it's a white supremacist document. Oh, for sure, yeah. For sure. Do you feel it disenfranchises black people? Yeah. The Constitution? Yeah. I think this whole country is good. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, this is this is it's a it's a really it's a white supremacist document. No, I definitely agree. Yeah, I'm with yeah. Very much drafted in white supremacy and everything that you said, I agree with. Uh, I see burn it down and then you know. Restructure the ashes. Yeah, honestly, yeah, we're at that yeah, point. Yeah. Don't forget to vote. No, 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 no. Do you feel the Constitution has any relevance to you at all? Put it like that. To answer that question, no. Do you think the Constitution has any relevance to you in your life? Anything in it? Um, I mean, I think it's... I, I don't know. I don't know. There's no freedom, so to speak. In the Constitution. Are you Avi Yes. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. This guy did not sign my petition. You're all signed. Thank you. Sure, why not? Thank you. 65% of everyone I spoke with signed my petition to get rid of the Constitution of the United States of America. All fine. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Sure, thank you. Sure, man. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it's, I it's, the best of luck. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. This woman was sitting around all day trying to get people to sign up to vote. She didn't get a single person. Considering what we just witnessed, I was thankful. Shocking, is it not? There's a lot going on behind the scenes. Most of you are unfamiliar with this because you're not sitting in classrooms and college campuses. You're not reading books by these, these Marxist and neo-Marxist professors that are pushing these ideologies. And yet your kids are, and your grandkids are, and they're influenced by it. Politicians are, they're influenced by it in the Democrat Party. The bureaucracy is now being populated with this ideology. Whether we're talking about public schools, colleges and universities, or the federal and state bureaucracies. And they're pushing this agenda. I have headlines here that I put together over the last three days here. That, you know, it's just, a sh- it's just, a, it's alarming. Like this, for instance. Biden team colluded with Iran to foil Trump diplomacy, Washington Times. Progressives press concealed China's mass murder members of Buddhist group. Let's see here. Biden announces end of Trump's America First agenda in G7 speech. Biden, uh, let's see here, when it comes to sports, his attack on uh, women's sports. Every one of these, here's a Biden administration urges passage of Equality Act to rewrite Civil Rights Act to conflate gender identity with sexual orientation. 
everything that Biden is doing is embracing every one of these ultra-radical elements that are on our college campuses and being pressed by these professors. Every one of them, virtually. And, uh, and he's succeeding. I found a piece, thanks to our friends at Instapundent, that goes back 16 and a half years. By a brilliant man who I've met once or twice in my life. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't even know if he's still with us. I hope he is, but I'm not sure. James Pearson. He was the executive director of the John M. Olin Foundation, which is now non-existent because Mr. Olin, who was very wealthy, saw that when wealthy men of the right put together these foundations, they were ultimately hijacked by the left. Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, all this money, leftist organizations, they were not leftists. But this was something very important, and I want to read this to you in part, because in part it explains. Why had Americans, writing back in 2004, why had Americans become so pessimistic about their country during the 1970s, and of course that affects today? Why have they been overcome by a sense of malaise that Jimmy Carter described? Well, there was, of course, the long ordeal of Vietnam, followed by Watergate, then a sluggish economy, reasons enough for Americans to feel some sense of doubt and disappointment. But why was Ronald Reagan able to reverse these doubts when Jimmy Carter could not? The answer to these questions is that while Americans in general were not down on their country, Jimmy Carter along with the leaders of the Democrat Party and its main constituent group, certainly was. Carter could not overcome the malaise of the 70s because he and his fellow Democrats had played a large role in fostering it. From the time of John Kennedy's assassination in 1963, the Jimmy Carter's election in 1976, the Democrat Party was gradually taken over by a bizarre doctrine that might be called today punitive liberalism. Now listen to this. According to this doctrine, America had been responsible for numerous crimes and misdeeds through its history, for which it deserved punishment and chastisement. White Americans had enslaved blacks and committed genocide against Native Americans. They had oppressed women and tyrannized minority groups, such as the Japanese, who had been interned in camps during World War II. They had been harsh and unfeeling toward the poor. By our greed, we had despoiled the environment and were consuming a disproportionate share of the world's wealth and resources. We had coddled dictators abroad and violated human rights out of our irrational fear of communism. Given this bill of indictment, the punitive liberals held that America's had no right at all to feel pride in their country's history or optimism about its future. Those who expressed such pride were written off as ignorant patriots who could not face up to the sins of the past. Well, today they're called white supremacists, among other things, of course. And those who looked ahead to a brighter future were dismissed as naive Pollyannas who did not understand that the brief American century was now over. The punitive liberals felt that the purpose of national policy was to punish the nation for its crimes rather than build a stronger America and a brighter future for all. Did he not nail this in 2004? Here the punitive liberals parted company from earlier liberal reformers like FDR, Kennedy, and Johnson who viewed reform as a means of bringing the promise of American life within reach of more of our people. The earlier reformers believed deeply that the American experiment in self-government was inherently good 
and that the task of policy was to improve it. But in the troubled years following Kennedy's, Kennedy's death, the Reformed tradition took on a furrowed brow and a punitive visage. And you can see the furrowed brow of Biden with the endless constipated look on his face and that he's embraced this hook, line, and singer, sinker. In many ways, Jimmy Carter and his leading appointees were the perfect exemplars of punitive liberalism. Given their sour look, it's no wonder that their leadership generated a sense of malaise among the American people. During the 70s, an impressive network of interest groups was developed, listen to this, to promote and take advantage of this sense of historical guilt. These included the various feminists and civil rights groups who pressed for affirmative action, quotas, other policies to compensate women and minorities for mass mistreatment. The welfare rights organizations who claimed that welfare and various poverty programs were entitlements or even better, reparations that were owed to the poor as compensation for similar mistreatment. The environmental groups who pressed for ever more stringent regulations on business and various human rights and disarmament groups who pressed the government to punish or disassociate the United States from allies who were said to violate human rights. These groups took up influential roles in the Democratic Party and in Congress and ensconced themselves in university departments from which outposts they promoted and elaborated upon the finer points of punitive liberalism. This is a fantastically prescient piece 50 years later. Excuse me, not 50 years later. 16 years later. The punitive aspects of this doctrine were made especially plain in debates over the liberals' favorite policies. If one asked whether it was really fair to impose employment quotas for women and minorities, one often heard the answer, white men impose quotas on us, and now we're going to do the same to them. Was busing of school children really an effective means of improving educational opportunities for blacks? A parallel answer was often given. Whites bus blacks to enforce segregation, and now they deserve to get a taste of their own medicine. Do we really strengthen our own security by undercutting allied governments in the name of human rights, particularly when they are replaced by openly hostile regimes, as in Iran and Nicaragua? Naturally, it was somewhat difficult to advance the tenets of punitive liberalism in the public arena, and especially tricky to do so in electoral contests. The broader public, after all, is unlikely to take kindly to the idea that it needs to be punished for the sins of past generations. Let's see here. The punitive liberals thus chose instead to advance their causes in the regulatory bodies and in the federal courts, the latter being the perfect arena for leveling blame and exacting punishment. And they did so with considerable uh, uh, success. Well, of course, they've done the same in our universities and colleges and the media now. Their success, however, was the undoing of the nation. The punitive liberals, because they sought to cultivate guilt in order to leverage policy, proved incapable of adopting practical means to strengthen the economy or to advance American power in the world. Such goals, in any case, would have been contradictory to their deeper longings, which were to dispel American pride and to shrink American ambitions at home and abroad. The Cold War in particular seemed to them a pointless struggle between two flawed empires, two scorpions in a bottle. While they didn't wish to see the communist wins, neither were they prepared to swallow the triumphalism that would accompany a victory by the West. A strong economy, meanwhile, would disproportionately reward the rich and self-contented middle classes, the very groups that the punitive liberals wished to chastise. Thus, it was perhaps inevitable that the policies of the punitive liberals would give us the worst of all worlds, 
weakness and embarrassment abroad, inflation and unemployment at home, and a public that was beginning to lose hope in its future. By 1980, the nation had seen the results of its experiments with punitive liberalism and was beginning to look for an alternative, and they found one. His name was Ronald Reagan. And I got to thinking, not only is this right on, but this is why they had to get rid of Trump. They had to try and destroy Trump. One of Ronald Reagan's campaign slogans was, Make America Great Again. Remember, Mr. Producer? Except it was called in the second term, Making America Great Again, I believe. Donald Trump, in many ways, substantively and otherwise, saw America as Ronald Reagan did. Now, the never-Trumpers will never understand this because they're blinded by their conceit and their hate, so they're irrelevant. The liberal media has never embraced this anyway, so they're irrelevant. But I'm talking to you. Donald Trump, make America great again. America first policies. American citizens, not illegal aliens who are in foreign countries today trying to get into this country, getting into the front of the line. On and on and on. He took on the left. He took on the critical race theory. He took on the bigots who claim that you're the bigots. He did those things to take on the putative liberals, as this gentleman Pearson wrote. That is the left, the punitive liberals. And now you can see why they wanted Trump out of the way. They're running wild in the Biden administration. They've taken over our government. They've taken over our budgets. They've taken over our policies. They've taken over bureaucracy after bureaucracy. And they don't intend to let go. Which is why what the Supreme Court did today when it came to the federal constitution was extraordinarily damaging to the country. Because the only way we can get our country back is through elections. And if they fix the elections so we can't win, and if the Supreme Court's in on it because of its laziness and its cowardliness, it's impossible to get our republic back. It's impossible to uphold our institutions. It's impossible to protect our individualism and our liberty and our private property and our capitalist system. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. It's my 
It's not. It, it's not surmise. It's my. It's my. I think legitimate, learned opinion. That what Biden is doing here, and we've talked about this the last several weeks, is trying to create a legacy for himself. He wants to outdo Obama, and he wants to outdo FDR. And in this, he's more like Bernie Sanders then, isn't he? Across the board, across the board, you can see what he's doing. Massive spending projects. These executive orders, which in my view are appallingly unconstitutional, and there the Supreme Court sits. No, Mark, there's not a case before it. It would sit there anyway. It's really amazing what's going on. The trajectory in our country. The, uh, the firewalls have been breached. The court has participated in the degradation of the, of the separation of powers. It has participated in it. And uh, you can see Republican senators... In the House, they're better, but the Republican senators really are rudderless. They have no agenda. They have no purpose, really. <clears throat> they get up and, you know, they may complain about what's going on, but they don't have any plan. They don't have any policies. They don't have any strategy. And this is the McConnell problem. I've said before, and I'm not going to forget, McConnell needs to go. We need some, you know, what we need is a new Gingrich. We need a new Gingrich in the Senate. We need a new Gingrich in the Senate, and it's going to take somebody with guts, one of the conservatives who you all know and I all know, just one of them, to make a run of McConnell in his leadership position, and they're going to fail once or twice, but to keep at it, the way Gingrich kept at it when it came to Bob Michael. And they will be attacked by Politico, they'll be attacked by the Post and the Times and the rest, because that's the nature of the American media. It is poisonous and it is corrupt. And they will help the Mitch McConnells of the world, because they want the Mitch McConnells to be there, because they're punching bags for the left. But that said, it's going to take one of them. It's going to take one of them to keep at it. It's going to take one of them to fight in the Republican primaries. It might be a two-year, four-year, six-year project. But somebody needs to take that project and run with it. Or it's not going to happen. And we need somebody to do that for the sake of the Republic, quite frankly. But Biden's on a mission, and it's about his legacy. Not about the country, not about your future, that's for sure. Every left-wing radical kook idea he can possibly institute. You're listening to Denali. The Great One. The Great One. And you can call in now. 877-381-3811. I would encourage you to read Clarence Thomas's dissent in today's Pennsylvania decision. The first one. Outstanding, brilliant as always. Man who really believes in uh, fidelity to the rule of law and the Constitution, whereas too many of the others simply don't give a damn. And where is it written in the Constitution that we can federalize election laws? Now, I just want to give you a little bit of information, then we'll move on. I've mentioned this before. One of the sticking points for the conventions after the Constitution was adopted in Philadelphia and sent to the states 
was this issue of who would control the election procedures. Because the states understood, at least back then, they, they wanted to guard and protect their own sovereignty. And they, they were creating this federal national government. And they didn't want it to decide how elections would be determined in each state. The states already had election procedures. And back then, the states thought they were quite capable of doing them themselves. And they were and are. And so not only was there a big debate in Philadelphia at the Constitutional Convention, underscoring that the state legislature would set the, the election laws in the state, as well as, so that would be continued, but that they would have an enormous influence on the choosing of a president and a vice president. But that the federal government had no role. Other than setting ages and certain other requirements for federal officials, it was up to the states. Now, as everything else, that has been modified over the years, and in some cases for good reason. We have our civil rights requirements and so forth. But beyond that, beyond that, Congress has no role whatsoever, none, in determining how elections are held in the states. And yet this Congress, under the Democrats, under this Bill H-1, which they're going to introduce now in early March, I just heard, they not only want to have some say in it, they want to have all say in it. They want the exact same voting system, automatic registration, mail-in voting, no penalties for illegal aliens voting. Are you listening to me? No signature matching requirements. And it goes on and on and on. It's California. This is exactly what the framers, exactly what the ratifiers objected to. They would never have agreed to this, ever. But since the document was prepared by white supremacists in a white-dominated society, I guess we don't care anymore, do we? Now, the Democrat Party is trying to steal this country. Listen to me. The Democrat Party is trying to steal the damn country. They're trying to steal our economic system. They're trying to steal our schools. They're trying to steal what goes on in the classrooms. They're trying to steal our elections by fundamentally altering constitutional requirements. They're trying to change the nature of the citizenry with open borders. If those people were voting Republicans coming across the border, they'd be building a 100-foot-tall wall 50 feet deep. Over and over again, I explain the point that the Democrat Party exists to empower itself and empower its base. They don't even give a damn who's in the base. Just empower the base. Yesterday it was blue-collar workers. Today it's illegal aliens. Whatever it takes. Power, power, power. Just like their mothership. That's right. Marxism. Did I say Marxism? Yes, I said Marxism. So the Democrat Party's trying to steal this country steal the voting system, steal our institutions, devour our institutions, health care, education, you name it, and to impose their will, their radical, hard-left will on the rest of us. So they're now more than happy to operate outside the constitutional confines because, again, they'll just say the Constitution's illegitimate except when they use it for their purposes, and only then is it legitimate. I would love to sit down one day and have an honest 
intellectual debate with a Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer. It can't happen. It'll never happen. But I would love to do it. Bernie Sanders, I can't tell you how many times we've invited this guy on my programs. I'd love to have an honest intellectual debate with these people. It's not possible. Because I know who they are and they know I know who they are. But it looks like if things aren't reversed in the next two years, and certainly in the next four years, we're all going to be operatives of the Democrat Party, whether we like it or not. We're all going to be not operatives, the playthings of the Democrat Party. Our taxes will go to their base and their cause. Our efforts will go to their base and their cause. Our society will be rejiggered to go to their base and their cause. And that's it. And it's over. A one-party country like a one-party state in California or a one-party state in New York or a one-party state now in Illinois or a one-party state in New Jersey or a one-party state in Rhode Island. And then go on and on and on with these one-party states, California. That's their objective. Just like the Marxists. They don't believe in two parties, for crying out loud. It's one party. They don't believe in debate. Debate what? Oh, yeah, we can have a discussion, but within the confines of our belief system. You can't challenge our belief system. That's why you're seeing repression. That's why you're seeing their surrogates and big tech do what they're doing. That's why you're seeing big media doing what it's doing. Your opinions are illegitimate. You're a throwback. And so why should you have access to the public square? Their violence is righteous. So how dare you criticize their violence? Even though you're consistent and you criticize all violence. Not to them. Some violence is acceptable and some isn't. It's that simple. And that's why they protect Joe Biden. They know he's an idiot, but it doesn't matter. Joe Biden's on the same page. Not because Joe Biden believes anything. Joe Biden's a chameleon. Joe Biden believes in Joe Biden. Just ask him. No, because Joe Biden's building his legacy. And the only way you can build a legacy in the media and academia and in the Democrat Party is hard left. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants the historians to write about him. That he outdid FDR. That he outdid Obama. That he outdid Lyndon Johnson. Embracing every crackpot, radical theory burped up by some tenured jerk in some school. And what do we have? McConnell and Cornyn and Thune, who don't even know what the hell's going on. They don't know what the hell's going on, or they don't care. It's really quite shocking. Absolutely shocking. Now, let's take a listen to this. Why have we succumbed to scientific fascism and quackery? Because that's what we're hearing now, scientific fascism and quackery. Why is Anthony Fauci held up as such a great mind? There's a great piece by Daniel Horowitz at The Blaze today, in which he absolutely eviscerates Fauci. I would suggest you check it out, and Horowitz is one of the smartest around. But notice the same left-wing media keep bringing Fauci on because Fauci is pushing their agenda. 
We have a highly politicized and partisan man of half a century as head of the infectious disease operation in the country. He doesn't limit his commentary to his expertise. He'll comment on anything. The economy, whether we should close borders, how long you should wear your mask. His focus is on infectious diseases. He gets a million dollars from some group in Israel now because of, uh, I don't know why exactly, quite frankly. He's in the front of newspapers and magazines. He's recognized everywhere. He's never had it so good. And while so many of you have been struggling, he was still making down, uh, taking down a 417000 a year, plus pension, plus medical benefits. God knows about bonuses. He was saying that it's, you know, it's unfortunate that some of you are suffering, but we have to do this. Well, he never suffered. The bureaucracy never suffered. They didn't miss a paycheck. The teachers' union members, they didn't miss a paycheck. They didn't suffer. Just the people in the private sector who pay for, who pay for all this crap. They're the ones who have to suffer. They don't have any guaranteed payroll, guaranteed income, guaranteed pension or medical care. Got to work for every damn penny you get. And they're the ones under attack. So here's Fauci on ABC's... It's not this week. It's CNN, I think. If it's uh, Dana Bash. CNN. Or am I wrong, Mr. Producer? She was on, he was on CNN today, uh, uh, this weekend. Let's listen to some of Fauci's wisdom. Cut to go. You and the president have suggested that we'll approach normality toward the end of the year. What is normal? First of all, Biden will never approach normality. He's an idiot. He's an abnormality. Go ahead. Americans will still be wearing masks, for example, in 2022. So here we are. This is what Trump understood. He understood the idiocy of Fauci in the media, which is why he pushed so hard for vaccine. And how many times did he say it? We've got to kill this vaccine. We've got to use science. He's the guy that believed in science. We've got to use science to kill the vaccine. We can change our clothing. We can wear masks. We can wear hats. We can wear sneakers. We can wear galoshes. We can do whatever we want. But we've got to defeat it. And that was his mentality. It is not Biden's and it is not Fauci's. Go ahead. You know, I think it is possible that that's the case. And again, it really depends on what you mean by normality. Why is this guy a spokesman for anything? Does he ever say anything that makes sense? Or does he ever say anything you don't already know? Does he ever say anything you, don't, you already don't know? What has he said that's been profoundly important? I really don't even know. I've heard him say profoundly stupid things. Go ahead. That's what I want you to define exactly it. Exactly the way it... <laughs> yeah. No, Dana, it's important because if normality means exactly the way things were before we had this happen to us, I, I mean, I can't predict that. I mean, obviously, I think we're going to have a significant... All right, thanks for nothing. Worth every penny, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Nobody else could fill his shoes. No, no. I think he wears a size three and a half. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Well, I hope you had an opportunity to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday. I hope you had an opportunity to watch my segment that I posted on Levin TV at the Blaze TV Network. I spoke at uh, some length about Rush, about some of the personal side of Rush, uh, the relationship I had with him, which was absolutely fantastic. In many ways, he was like a brother, as is his brother David Limbaugh. And, and um, look, nobody's going to replace Rush. Nobody should even try. But as Rush once told me, just be yourself, fight for the cause, <clears throat> and do the very best you can. And that's what I've done here day in and day out for almost 20 years, and that's what I'll keep doing. You know, I went back, I talked to my dear friend Kathleen Cookie, he used to call her, who did Russia's audio. I spoke to her today. She reminded me that it goes back to 1995 when I first began communicating back and forth with Rush. And Originally, it was through her. She would read something in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post or what have you, typically from a New York uh, media outlet involving the law, the Constitution. She reached out to me. I was at Landmark Legal Foundation. And I would type out answers, literally type them out on the computer, sometimes on a typewriter, and send them to her. I didn't use email back then. I didn't even know how. I didn't have an email address. And I would send things to her, and she would share them with Rush. And At one point, Rush said, who is this guy? Who is this guy that writes this stuff? And he contacted me, and he said, look, I want you to email me, and we can talk to each other, and so forth. And uh, I said, well, I don't email. He said, well, you damn well better start. You know, he was so advanced technologically. He might say, well, let's email him. But even back then, it was... I mean, it occurred, but he was way ahead of the game. I had the same email address I had then, Mr. Producer, as you know. And uh, he would instant message me. This is before iPhones, as I recall, right on the computer. And we would do that till very, very late at night and early in the morning Um, for for many, many years. We would talk about the different issues. We would talk about family. As you know, I read from Rescuing Sprite on this program and on my Sunday Fox show. By the way, so now the book is unavailable on Amazon. It's sold out, Mr. Producer. That's what I'm told. And in Barnes & Noble, it's like number five or number seven. And incidentally, any money I get from that book goes to helping dogs. But I hope they revealed... You know, Rush, his view of faith, his view of God, his view of, of life, because it was absolutely profound and compelling. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I promise I'll get to your calls this hour. But I want to take a whack at this. $1.9 trillion in this COVID bill. Folks, you you understand that the the debt is so massive now that I don't think we're ever going to get it under control and that the consequence one day is going to be massive inflation. Now, can you imagine massive inflation in your current life where the price of energy is going through the roof? And supplies are going to be limited, given what Biden's doing. You see what happens in California. You've even seen what's happened in Texas. It can happen anywhere. A nation that is an abundant reserve of fossil fuel. Over 40% of Texas energy came from alternative energy sources, including wind power. And the consequences were disastrous. Now, it's once in a God know how long period of time that that sort of thing can happen. But not so in California. These policies, folks, are going to be imposed on the entirety of the country. And we've talked about this degrowth movement. I've written about it in Plunder and Deceit. It's a degrowth movement. It's not a green movement. It is an anti-capitalism, anti-Americanism, degrowth movement. We have this pandemic, and Joe Biden's taking credit for the benefits of the work that's been done before him. I have no idea what Joe Biden has done to increase the production and the availability of vaccines. He's done absolutely nothing, as we talked about in the first hour. But then we get this almost $2 trillion spending bill. They make it $1.9 trillion, so it doesn't sound like $2 trillion, of course. And what do the Democrats do? They just have so much slop in this bill, it's unbelievable. They pretend they're concerned about you, you know. But it's their base, as I tell you over and over and over again. And Chris Enlow over at Blaze Media, alarming items stuffed inside House Dems $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, health surveillance, animal COVID studies. Let's take a look at this. It's a bill that's 600 pages long. And according to Reuters, was stitched together by a Democrat-controlled House Budget Committee filled with dozens of items completely unrelated to the pandemic. The bill would enact a key promise made by Biden and Democrats increasing the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025. So goodbye, first jobs for high school students, 
goodbye jobs for unskilled labor. Because who's going to pay that? Nobody. And goodbye multiple small businesses on top of the pandemic. This is what happens when you have people who've spent their entire lives in Washington, D.C. Schumer, Biden, Pelosi might as well have. Animal COVID studies, $300 million for the Agriculture Department to conduct monitoring and surveillance of susceptible animal, animals for incidents of SARS-CoV-2 as guided by the World Health Organization for Animal Health. Socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. I'm so sick of this, you have no idea. I am so sick of this, you have no idea. We're a free country. You want to make something of yourself? Get off your ass and make something of yourself. Nobody's going to stop you. Nobody. Addressing farm loans, the bill states the Agriculture Department shall provide a payment in an amount equal to 120% of the outstanding indebtedness of each socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher as of January, 20, uh, January 1, 2021, to pay off the loan directly or to the socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher. The purpose of debt payments is to, quote, alleviate discriminatory barriers preventing socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers from fully participating in the American farm economy. Is somebody stopping people from participating in the American farm economy, Mr. Reducer? What the hell are they talking about? What did I say? This is all about the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party funding its base, redistributing wealth to its base, protecting its base, stealing authority, power, and property from people who are not part of its base. The bill also provides another billion dollars. We're now throwing around billions, hundreds of billions like it's nothing. Another billion to the same group for a, quote, outreach, mediation, financial training, capacity building training, cooperative development training and support, and other technical assistance to socially disadvantaged groups. So this pays off a whole litany of consultants and operatives and federal contractors. Student loan outreach. The bill allocates $91 million for the Department of Education, damn thing's still there, to prevent, prepare for, and respond to coronavirus domestically or internationally, including direct outreach to students and borrowers about financial aid, economic impact payments, means-tested benefits, and tax benefits for which they are eligible. Almost $100 million for the bureaucracy. Here's one. The bill allocates $135 million to the National Endowment for the Arts. Another $135 million to the National Endowment of the Humanities. Now, we all know those are big spreaders there, Mr. Producer. Yes, the Endowment for the Arts and the Endowment for the Humanities. All this endowment stuff, you know, it could be a problem. I won't go any further. Meanwhile, the bill also allocates $200 million to the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Nothing. The bill also gives $10 million for the, quote, preservation and maintenance of Native American languages, unquote. First of all, how does paying money preserve and maintain Native American languages? Secondly, as you can see, this has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with the virus. Family planning. 
which could include abortion, gets $50 million. Global Health, $750 million for a quote. The director of the Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention to combat SARS, COVID-2, COVID-19, and other emerging infectious disease threats globally, including efforts related to global health security. I don't know what that means. Global disease detection and response, global health protection, global immunization, global coordination. Well, isn't that what the State Department's supposed to do? Health surveillance. Oh, this is a good one. The bill provides another half a billion dollars to support public health data surveillance and analytics infrastructure, modernizing initiatives at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And $15 billion for airlines. And the idiot, the president, says, tell me what I should cut out. Let's listen to this, Mr. Producer. Cut one on, where is he today? He's at the White House today, mumbling. Cut one, go. At the same time, we're increasing access by increasing oversight. I invite any inspector general in this program, with jurisdiction over this program, to closely look at these loans and report, publicly report, on any issues they uncover in Well, let me help you out, genius. Already there was news reports of about $100 billion out of all the money that's been spent so far that's gone to waste, fraud, and abuse. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? $100 billion. I, I challenge any, any, any inspector general to check it out. Read the newspaper, you moron. It's right there. Go ahead. We will ensure every dollar is spent well. No, you won't with the shovel-ready crap. You were in charge of that. You were in charge of Solyndra. This guy's such a liar. His false teeth are even chattering. And we will ensure the money is well spent. No, you won't. And how will you do that? Go ahead. Much needed, long overdue to help to small businesses who really need help staying open. They really need help staying open. Well, then why don't you call your governor friends and tell them to let them open? They don't need you. They don't need the bureaucracy to get fat off of their problems. Go ahead. Maintaining jobs and making ends meet. Maintaining jobs, you know, like the Keystone XL pipeline. Energy jobs, good-paying jobs. We can't have those. We're going to make propellers and battery-operated socks. Go ahead. This is a starting point, not the ending point. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. Oh, this is the American Rescue Plan. Thank God we have the American Rescue Plan, another $1.9 trillion. These stupid names they call their... Profligate spending. Go ahead. Deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? All right, I'll tell you what. I just added up here several tens of billions of dollars. Federal minimum wage increase, animal COVID studies, socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers, Money for these things, student loan outreach, fine arts and museums, Native American languages. I don't even know what you're doing there. Neither do you, you idiot. Uh, Let's see, family planning, I guess more abortion, health surveillance, airlines. Why don't you start there? Why don't you cut there? And while you're at it, cut Fauci's salary in half. 
We're over half a million dead, you just said today, as a result of COVID. Those, those are your words. Well, who's the infectious disease guy? Yeah, who's he? How come he's never held to account? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Jim in New Jersey, the great WABC. Go, sir. Hey, Mark. Love the show. First, I'd like to give out my, my thoughts and prayers to the Limbaugh family. Um, you know, he was a great man, and um, we're going to miss him. Keep yourself healthy. We need you. Thank so you, let sir. me go to my, my comment. The Democrats are like the um, mobsters. Back in the day, they would throw rocks through the windows of the stores, burn the stores until the uh, owners, uh, you know, until they relented. And what they did with Schumer up there screaming, we're going to come for you, Gorsuch, we're going to come right. for you, Kavanaugh, that was the rock through the window. Kavanaugh will never do a controversial vote after what he went through. Um, Gorsuch, same thing. They're worried about the, the, the mobs going in front of the houses, chanting, writing on their walls, they really are sort of like domestic terrorists. They they do what they need to do to take control of the people. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of that. That's for sure. I appreciate your call, my friend. Let's keep going. Let's go to Wade in uh, Roxbury, Vermont. XM Satellite. How are you, Wade? Good, Mark. That was a great tribute you did for Rush on Sunday night's Life, Liberty, and Levin. He really will be sorely missed. Amen. My question is that I'm so upset with this uh, do-nothing Supreme Court with their dereliction of duty, and I'm wondering if there's any way that constitutional scholars such as yourself can get together and maybe bring some impeachment charges or uh, malfeasance charges. Well, first of all, I can't bring charges against Supreme Court justices. I'm sorry? Impeachment is something only the House of Representatives can do. So we can all get together, but we can't do anything. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, the the cast was set many, 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 many decades ago, early in our history, that justices are not impeached for their opinions. If they have a case, though, where they clearly uh, were in error, such as... All right, don't, 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 don't keep going down this road. There's nothing anybody can do. So if they have a case... You know, they, uh, the Supreme Court wrote the uh, 
Taney, uh, Justice Taney wrote the decision in in the Dred Scott case. Judge uh, Taney uh, was a uh, racist, he's a segregationist, and he upheld slavery. Uh, do you think he should have been impeached? Do I'm you? not sure. Well, you're not sure? I'm not I, familiar enough with the case. Well, another, I just told you the case. And he should have been impeached, but they they had decided decades before that we don't impeach justices for their opinions. So the answer is, we can all get together, but there is no answer. I have family members when I say, this is this, and they say, well, what can we do about it? What do you mean, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? We lost we fight another day. There's nothing I can do about it. <clears throat> These justices have to be much more carefully examined. I warned people about Kavanaugh. I was one of the only ones behind a microphone to warn people about Kavanaugh that he would start to buckle, and he's starting to buckle. I'm shocked at Amy Coney, to be honest with you. We'll see how she conducts herself. Uh, but there was never any doubt about Clarence Thomas decades and decades ago, and never really any doubt about Sam Alito, quite frankly, as there was no doubt about Scalise. Uh, I mean, Scalia. And that's the kind of person you need to get on the bench. And we had people like that. We knew John Roberts was was iffy, and we had, we had uh, potential justices. Uh, but when I got behind this microphone, and I dared to raise even some questions about Kavanaugh, Mr. Producer, remember what happened? I was attacked. Now, I understand the enemy, the Democrat Party. I understand the media. I understand how vicious they are, and we want to rally around. But we rally around, and sometimes it just isn't what it's supposed to be. Kavanaugh, McConnell, when, when, uh, when Trump was trying to decide whether to nominate Kavanaugh or Coney, it was McConnell who pressed Trump to, to nominate Kavanaugh because he said he'd be much easier to confirm she's too rigid. Well, it didn't exactly work out that way. But if Amy Comey continues to rule like this, then she's no better than the rest of them. Despite all the efforts, despite what President Trump did and so forth, we're not asking her to rule for President Trump. We're asking her to rule on the Constitution. She failed miserably today. Miserably. So to answer your question, no matter how many times I'm going to be asked, no, we can't get together and impeach anybody. No, they're not going to be impeached. And no, you can't bring a lawsuit against a Supreme Court justice because guess who gets to hear those cases? All right, Wade, thank you for your call, my friend. People are always disappointed when I say these things to them. Sometimes in person they'll stare at me and say, what do you mean we can't do anything? Okay. And it's always the we. We can't do anything. You guys need to get together. You guys need to do this. Look at Vermont. That poor guy's stuck in Vermont, Wade. Look at the two crap senators from, the, from Vermont. So my question is, what are you going to do about it? Well, we can't. We've, okay. What we need to make sure we can do is have mobility. What we need to make sure we can do, even though we may not want to do it, is have the ability to pick up and leave and go to a free state that, that embraces the, the morality and the principles that we believe in. And what the Democrats are trying to do is to make sure no such state exists. So this in and of itself is an important battle in each and every state that's not, you know, dark blue. In these red states, look what's happening to Texas. Texas is right on the line right now. It's right on the cusp because of immigration policy, and Biden knows that. The Democrats know it. That's what they're trying to do. I had a family member write me today and say, you know, we're doing pretty good among Hispanics, 35 percent. They're doing better, 65 percent. 
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, it's really weird, Mr. Producer. Several weeks ago, I was really jumping into the critical race theory stuff going on in the country, remember? Been doing an enormous amount of research, not just people who are looking into it and reporting on it, but a really deep dive into the history and the so-called scholars behind it, reading the most monotonous books you can possibly imagine. And I came on the air, and I've spent a lot of time on it. Now it's all over TV. Have you noticed that? It's all over TV. It's all over blogs and so forth. This is the way it works here. It really is. So uh, I guess it's okay. I guess I should be better about it, don't you think? No, not really. I don't think so. Because I'll give you an example. After this show, I'll get something to eat, my beautiful wife, and then I will be working at my desk, doing more research, more analysis, and more writing. It really is amazing to see how many people out there put their names and pictures and photos on books and haven't really written the books. They edit them, they like to say. Anybody who's written a book, I mean a substantive nonfiction book, knows how much work goes into it. It's a real task, even if you love doing it. I love doing it. Some days you hate doing it, but overall I love doing it. You can't be a teeny boppy bopper. You can't be, you know, having a normal weekend life, a normal night life and so forth when you are under a contract and have a deadline to produce a book. It doesn't work that way. Particularly if you're doing a three-hour radio show and a couple of one-hour TV shows. But I watch these guys, and it's like, and let me tell you about George Washington. Let me tell you about him. And I'm thinking, what are you going to tell us? What somebody else told you and what somebody else wrote for you? I'm just being honest. Look, I'm just being honest. I pride myself on doing my own work. And I do that not only because I have self-respect, but respect for you. You know, we have people who mock Joe Biden for being a plagiarist, and yet they don't do anything differently in some ways. Just just pointing it out. Let's go to Ron, Baltimore, Maryland, the great WMAL. How are you, Ron? Hi, thank you very much. Uh, 
Okay, uh, you've mentioned that the founding fathers, I think particularly Madison, said that the Constitution would only work for a society where the people were virtuous. Uh, well, well they all religious. said it, but in particular, John Adams wrote fairly extensively about it. Okay, so and then my question is, well, it would seem that society today is not the kind of society that those folks envisioned. So where does that leave us? What's the best we can hope for if, we, if the Constitution is not going to work? Where does that leave us? Where do you think it leaves us? Well, I think the best we could hope for would seem would be something like a, a benevolent dictatorship or something like that. And uh, most, most dictatorships are not benevolent, I can tell you that. Well, most aren't. Uh, that's that's for sure. So that's a, that is a problem. Uh, uh, the only hope I can see for the country. I, I think about half the country is virtuous in that sense, and about half the country is destructive. And half the country is narcissistic, and half the country makes demands on the other half. They want free stuff. They have chip on their shoulder. They demand that they're owed stuff. These are the people, uh, as an ideology, this is pressed by the Marxists and the neo-Marxists, as an ideology, these are the people who are destroying the country, and intentionally so. So that's the battle we have. And as for a benevolent dictatorship... I don't think they'd be very benevolent based on what I'm saying in these states and so forth. Do you? Well, no, that's uh, that's uh, that's part of the problem. I think our only hope would be is if we could have some kind of a, uh, a religious revival. Uh, or something All right. Well, like who knows what religious revival? benefit. How about we work harder? For instance, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I don't think you show up at school board meetings or town meetings. I don't think... Uh, you spend a line a lot, a lot of time uh, getting in the uh, or lobbying your senator, your congressman, or doing things of that sort at convention of states. How about we do things that are staring us right in the face, rather than surrendering and imagining what could be uh, over the mountain? That's my view, anyway. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. Man, people are ready to to give up without even fighting, Mister Producer. Have you noticed that, Mister Producer? Don't give up. No, but you, do you get the point? It's ridiculous. We have people who put their lives on the line for this country and have in the past. Well, I don't know. I guess we don't have virtuous people. So what, a benevolent dictatorship, a religious revival? You can throw around every idea you want. If you're not hands-on, if you don't have your head in the game, it's not going to matter. That's why I say this plural we, we need to this, we need to that, means you're not going to do anything. Now, I'm not talking to all of you, obviously, but you get my point. People would rather complain than act. Not on the left. They act. They complain and they act. They act and they complain. Let's go to Marvin, Tallahassee, Florida. How are you, Marvin? Thank you, Mark. So the great Marcia. WFLA. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you so much. I wanted to be uh, say I'm very thankful for Donald Trump. I live in Tallahassee. I'm 70 years old. I got my first vaccine because of President Trump. And if he hadn't given us that vaccine, who knows where all of us would be, how many more lives would have been lost. I got the vaccine about a month before the inauguration. I got the second one. Wow. How'd you get it so fast? You're only 70. Excuse me? How did you get it so fast? 
I found out I found out that um, the health department in Tallahassee had the uh, vaccine. Somebody just called me and said, did you know they're doing that today? And this was in January. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, I said, OK, let me go check on it. So I called immediately. Well, do you agree with it. me that Democrats, uh, excuse me, that Republicans should be in the front of line getting vaccines first because we elected Trump. We supported his administration and the Democrats were downplaying, if not outright, attacking the idea of an early vaccination. So why aren't we getting them first and why aren't they have to, having to wait for us? Well, obviously, we, I got it first. and most You of my did, but you're are... not everybody, are you? Well, no, no, Mark. I'm not Every Republican hasn't gotten the. I... You're missing my point, sir. It's okay. <laughs> okay, we all, the whole country knows you got your vaccination. Go ahead. No, okay, yes. Okay, I got my vaccination. Also, I just want to let you know that Biden is just absolutely doing, I think, the opposite of what DeSantis is doing. Wouldn't that be an amazing meeting if the two ever got together? Would we have a chance? of having a country think alike, maybe, if the two of them would talk of what works and what's not working. DeSantis is amazing in Florida. Okay, two different things. DeSantis is one of the great leaders right now in the country. There's absolutely no question about it. But you ask a second question. Wouldn't it be amazing if they got together? You really think Joe Biden's going to get together with DeSantis and try and take tips from DeSantis? No, sir, but what if he has a what if he has a moment of clarity? Maybe Okay, mid- thanks for your call. What am I missing tonight, Rich? Am I missing something? If he has a moment of clarity, wouldn't it be amazing if they got together? It's not going to happen. Biden's not going to do that. Can we as a people impeach the Supreme Court justices? I I'm not trying to be rude, I'm just saying where's this stuff coming from? Um, well, people are frustrated. That's okay. Be frustrated. But focus energy on what can be done about these things. Biden is not going to ask DeSantis for advice. No, we can't impeach Supreme Court justices. Everybody knows that, I think. So we have to come up with practical ideas, and practical ideas are all in front of you. We haven't even exercised them yet. In our own lives, we haven't exercised them yet. I mean, there's a thousand things you can do to organize in your neighborhoods, to go to school board meetings, to... I mean, I used to do these things. And you just got to think about your own life, what you can do. Not if Biden is going to reach out to Santos. That's not going to happen. Not if a group of scholars are going to get together and impeach Supreme Court justices. That's not even on the table. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Here's a piece by Maxim Lott at Fox News, and it's an outstanding piece. It's headlined, Inside Wikipedia's Leftist Bias, Socialism Pages Whitewashed, Communist Atrocities Buried. The days of Wikipedia's robust commitment to neutrality are long gone, says co-founder Larry Sanger. Big tech has faced repeated accusations of bias and censorship. But one platform has escaped much scrutiny, Wikipedia. Now, not here. For years, I've talked about how Wikipedia has lied about me and lied about other conservatives and is a leftist operation. For years. I even fought with them on the air. And you even helped me fight with them on the air. Remember that, Mr. Producer? For years, at least a decade, we've been fighting them. So I needed to add that footnote to the piece. The online encyclopedia, which claims anyone can edit, is the 13th most popular website in the world, according to Alexa's web rankings. Google gives it special placement in search results, no doubt about that. But critics, including Wikipedia co-founder Larry Sanger, tell Fox News that many Wikipedia pages have been merely left-wing advocacy essays. I should have wrote this piece. The days of Wikipedia's robust commitment to neutrality are long gone, co-founder Larry Sanger said. Wikipedia's ideological and religious bias is real and troubling, particularly in a resource that continues to be treated by many as an unbiased reference work. Wikipedia pages related to socialism and communism contain stark examples. The two two main pages for socialism and communism span a massive 28,000 words, and they contain no discussion of the genocides committed by socialist and communist regimes in which tens of millions of people were murdered and starved. The omission of large-scale mass murder, slave labor, and man-made famines and neglect and negligent and deeply misleading economics professor Brian Kaplan, who has studied the history of communism, told Fox News. The pages include plenty of history, Kaplan noted, and are not confined to just philosophical complaints. Uh, claims, but the history focuses on flattering claims. Wikipedia's socialism page announces, quote, the Soviet era saw some of the most significant technological achievements of the 20th century. You believe this? It ignores a man-made famine in which Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin commandeered the food from regions like Ukraine and Kazakhstan, and we wrote about that in Unfreedom of the Press. As for comment, a Wikimedia Foundation spokes idiot sent a statement noting that Wikipedia is a living, breathing project. Gee, can you imagine how stupid they are to use those words? We're living and breathing and is always evolving just as our shared understanding of a topic does. The response also noted the foundation does not directly control content on Wikipedia, which is written by volunteer editors. You know, uh, there was a great piece not that long ago in Breitbart by one of the gentlemen who was involved in, uh, in, the Wik- in, in Wikipedia. And he used my case as an example, as well as some of the others. And he explained that you have a couple of editors in particular who are 
who are on the site constantly and involved in editing all kinds of things, so-called volunteers. No accountability whatsoever. The Wikipedia Socialism page also mentions China's Communist Party, but only begins its description in 1976 after Mao's reign of terror had already killed tens of millions. After Mao Zedong's death in 1976, China's economic performance pulled an estimated 150 million peasants out of poverty, the encyclopedia says. Of course, he killed 60 million people, but who's counting? Doesn't mention Mao's prior communist programs, such as his Great Leap Forward, which private farming was abolished, leading to mass famine that killed tens of millions, or the Cultural Revolution, and the Red Guards, and all the rest, the mass killings under communist regimes, nope. And it goes on and on. Wikipedia, ladies and gentlemen, is not only unreliable, it is a viciously operated propaganda uh, uh, platform, which I would strongly discourage you from using. Strongly. If you want another test, you don't need one, but if you do, go in there and look me up. You won't even recognize me there. Just do Mark Levin and Wikipedia. It's disgusting. My family doesn't even recognize me. Because some slob there sits on his sofa in his mother's basement in his boxer shorts, you know, busy eating Hershey bars and uh, showers every four or five days. Can't grow a beard, but nonetheless tries. And uh, they're the types that are the editors over there at Wikipedia. They've destroyed Wikipedia. The left destroys everything, doesn't it? It destroys our cities and our states, it destroys our economy. Destroys our immigration system. It's a, no, no, you don't understand. This is progress. No, it's not progress. It's destruction. And so, of course, they've destroyed the media. They've destroyed our schools, our universities. They've destroyed Hollywood and even Wikipedia. Imagine that. I want to thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I very much appreciate you. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I'm just sorry. We cannot impeach Supreme Court justices. You and I don't have that power. I can't fix it. See you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.